Hey everybody, I'm John Yee. Some of you already know who I am. So on behalf of the Illinois Baptist State Association and the North American Mission Board, I just want to say greetings. And I think this whole intermission thing you guys do is about the most uh, traditional churchy thing you can do. Because I, I, I would bet that in the, in the early church, this is how they did it. People were munching on stuff, eating their Doritos if they had them back then, you know, or having a snack or having a meal, chewing, drinking while, you know, probably me standing up on a stage is probably the most n not churchy thing that could have happened in the first century. But thank you for letting me experience this with you and, and giving me the privilege of delivering God's word today. And I do believe it is God's word we're going to be receiving. And so I, I hope we can come with that attitude of just hunger and thirst to know what the Lord has for us today. And I believe he does have something for us today. We're going to be all over Ephesians today, uh, specifically in chapter 4. But um, just to give you a little background, for me, uh, I'm in Ephesians because that's where our church is right now. We're doing a series through this book, through this letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus, and <clears throat> this is, um, I hope it doesn't feel like out of context. I've done my best to try to pull it all together for all of you who have, who have not been um, combing through Ephesians during this week, which I'm guessing most of you probably have not been, and I, I, and I, I don't know if you've just gotten through a series in Ephesians. I didn't get a chance to ask any of these questions to your pastor who, as you know, is not feeling well, and, and that's why I'm here, and I'm so glad to be here. But I thought just kind of put a, a frame around the text we're looking at, which is only like five verses, uh, that maybe we would start in chapter 4, verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, let's go to chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11. <clears throat> And I'm using the NIV, if that matters to you. And it reads, It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the, the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught 
with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteous and in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So, you know, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is considered to be, like to most Bible students, the place where you go to see what Paul has to say about the church. And I suppose we can learn certain things about the organization that is the church, but I think there's even more to be learned about the organism, which is this church. All these interconnected pieces, these individuals who make up the one. The unified whole in Christ. So perhaps the three most important themes of Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians are these. First, how Christ has reconciled all creation to himself and to God. And then secondly, how Christ has united people from all nations, all kinds of people, to himself and to his church. And then third, that Christians must not live as the same people they once were, but as new people. In other words, in this unity that is the church, this unity with God, this unity with one another, they are living a new life. And Lord willing, as 2019 draws to a close and 2020 begins, I want to direct our attention at these last few verses that we read, verses 21 through 25, because here I believe God is going to offer us holy resolve. You know, this is a time of year when some of us are encouraged and maybe we're encouraging ourselves to make resolutions. But I believe God, by His mighty Word, His powerful Word, is going to give us resolve for something that I believe He desires for us, but something that every one of us deep in our hearts desires for ourselves too. So let me pray, and then let's invite the Lord to speak to us. Lord, we are not only your servants, but we are your people, your children. And our ears are open, our hearts are open, and we're listening. Speak. Speak and feed us, nourish us, teach us. Encourage us. Build us up and mature us to Christ. And in doing so, would you also draw each of us together because we are not in this life alone, but we are doing life together. We are the church, the the gathered. Lord, would you have your way with us today? Speak again. We are listening. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to go right into the text. As Paul gives instructions in verse 20 through to 25, let's start by a note, no, noticing an assumption that he makes in verse 21. And Paul assumes that we share a common experience, a common reality, a common understanding. 
And what does he say first in verse 21? Surely you have heard of him. And he's speaking of Jesus. We've all heard of him. And we were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So what are the two things we share? We heard of him, and now we have been taught in him. You know, actually in the Greek, this assumption is really like a conditional assumption. See, the NIV doesn't really capture it quite so well, but like the Holman Christian Standard and the ESV say, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him. The KJV and the you know, New American Standard say, if, if so be that you have heard him. So there's an assumption based on a certain condition. So Paul is not just speaking to everybody that's out there. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to those who have heard of him and who have been taught in Christ. So Paul assumes that if we've heard of Jesus, if we were taught in Jesus and his truth, then we're going to share a common knowledge, a common understanding, a common experience. And what is that common knowledge, understanding, and experience? If you've got your Bibles, will you open up to Ephesians? And I'm going to go right back to chapter 1. You can just kind of follow through. I'm going to go through it really fast. So what is that common experience? And, the, and starting in verse 1, it tells us that we are in Christ and we're saints. That God is our Father and Jesus Christ is our Lord. That verses 4-6 through six tell us that we are chosen for holiness and predestined for adoption as God's children. Verse 7, we were purchased and forgiven. Verse 8 and t- through 10, God lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and made known to us the mystery of His will in Christ and under Christ. And 11 through 12, again in Christ, we were chosen and predestined to hope in Christ. 13 through 14, we believe and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what have we believed? Verses 20 to 23, that the Father raised the Son from the dead and then exalted him. Now back to that shared experience in chapter 2. It says in verses 1 and 2 that we were dead in our sins, following the way of the world. And, you know, and I've inserted this because I think that's who, who Paul's talking about, following the ways of the world and Antichrist. Three. I mean, we want to put Satan in there, devil. So whoever you think the ruler of the air is. Three. Verse 3, we all had lived according to our sinful natures with its desires and thoughts, and this made us objects of God's wrath. This is a common experience for us. But, and the but is also the common experience for us, but God's unmerited favor toward us has made us alive in Jesus Christ. Is this a church that says amen? We are alive in Christ. We are co-beneficiaries with Christ. If you read that section, Paul's basically saying like all the stuff that God gave to Jesus, He gave to us. We get to sit next to Him, exalted. All the kindnesses the Father showed His Son, He shows to us. Verses 8-9, through we are saved by grace through faith and not works. And you know that whole... I don't know if people make enough point about the not works in this verse. We, many people have you know, memorized Ephesians 8-10. through 10. 
or chapter four, verses eight to ten, or, or chapter two, verses eight to ten. But we don't make the we we we're like, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith, but we don't make a point to emphasize as Paul does. He doesn't if he says this is how you're saved by grace through faith, then that's enough, right? It, it informs us. We got it. But he adds for emphasis, not by works. Because it's so critically important that there's nothing that we can do for ourselves to pull us out of this trap, this slavery to sin. Now that's a whole other sermon, but that's part of our common experience. We were created in Jesus Christ to do good works, verses 10, verse 10, 11 through 19, that we were once separated from God and His people, but now through the cross we have peace with God, we have peace with one another by one Holy Spirit. Consequently, in Christ, we are citizens and members of God's family, God's holy temple, where He dwells, where He has made His home. Ever wonder where do we get this idea that Jesus lives in my heart? I mean, it's right from Scripture. It's not just something that they taught us in Awana, but it's coming from Scripture. The Holy Spirit has made His home in us. And so having summarized all these things in verse 21 by one verse, our collective reality detailed in chapters 1 and 2, Paul then in verse 22 zeroes in with this assumption that we've all shared, we all share in this common experience, this shared learning, this collective reality. And he talks about the former way of life. And what is it about that former way of life that we share in our understanding? He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life in verse 22, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its, its, its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So to put off the old and to be made new. The one who has encountered Christ, the one who has met Jesus and has been taught in the truth of Jesus, understands that we cannot be the same people walking away after having met Jesus. We can't leave Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, unchanged. Do you share this understanding, this experience, this identity, this reality of those who have believed Jesus and have loved Jesus? Can I get an amen if you can share in that experience? And if so, we can't be the same people. We're going to be different. We're not going to be the same old. We're going to be new. And Paul says, so put off, take away, take off, Lay aside, get rid of, even disrobe the idea of taking off clothes as if getting out of like a hopelessly worn out old shirt. Paul says, discard it. You know, maybe, you know, for especially, I mean, women don't usually have this trouble, but it's the men, right? Our wives have to tell us, you're not going to keep wearing that, are you? When are you going to throw that away? That thing's got more holes than fabric. And that thing, doesn't matter how many times I wash it, I can't get that smell out. Why do you keep wearing that? 
And Paul says, just get rid of it. Lay it aside. And there's a couple of things to notice here. The, the former way, the old behavior, the previous life is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The obvious is what we just read. The previous lifestyle is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The old self is a life of constant deception. Do you remember those days when you thought you knew what the meaning of life was? When you thought you knew what you really wanted? When you thought you knew what was most valuable, most important? Do you remember those days? It was an old life of constant deception. It is, a, it is powerless. It was a life where it was powerless to resist sin. We couldn't even resist temptation. We were slaves to it. it is, it's a life, an old life that is so easily fooled into believing that there is a way that is just as good as God's way. Or better than God's way. Constant corruption by its deceitful desires. Let me give you an example. You know, have you ever heard of the ice cream diet? No? I, I know it's a real diet because I invented it. It may seem far-fetched and hard to believe, but there was a time when I actually believed that by eating more ice cream, I would actually lose weight. So I would eat gross amounts of ice cream. And besides, it was good, right? I'd get my favorite flavor, butter pecan at the time, and I always liked the Breyers version. So I would eat half Back in the day when it was a real half gallon, I would eat half that half gallon in one sitting. And you know what I thought was weight loss? It was probably lactose intolerance. <laughs> Made me go to the bathroom. It cleaned out my system and I thought I lost weight. But you know, over time, you know what happened? I found out that it was actually making me heavier. Can you believe it? So, of course, I eventually abandoned that foolishness. And of course, though, this ice cream diet shouldn't in no way inspire anyone to abandon your junk food diet, your chocolate diet, or your bacon diet, because we all know those work great, especially if your goal is to be greater, right? So the first thing to notice in verse 22 to 23 is that since we've encountered Jesus, we pretty much have to admit, gosh, that old way, we've got to let it go. It's the hotbed of deception. And that's pretty obvious. The second thing may be less obvious, but it's still pointedly important. Paul assumes that there are some people who have had an encounter with Jesus and have responded in saving faith. That is, we're talking about Christian brothers and sisters, the redeemed the blood-bought, the ones who are Christ followers, and they are still hanging on to their old, former way of life. They're clinging to it. 
And you might say to yourself, well, that's not so obvious. I mean, I mean, obviously Paul's talking about it, so he wouldn't be talking about it unless there were people that were actually like this. But are any of us in that situation? There are things that we know without a shadow of a doubt are part of our old life. And it's like an old shirt we will not throw away. There's no reason to hang on to it. There's no benefit to hanging on to it. It does us no good. And in fact, it probably makes us look pretty foolish. May even harm us. You know, if, if you, in, in a day like today when, when you, know, you can dress bad and that's enough to ruin your reputation, why hang on to it? But we do. And the grammatical tense is interesting. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. So that's something you were taught in the past to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. It's an old self, which is still being corrupted by its deceitful desires. It's a present tense. It's happening. So why would you hang on to it? The corruption of deceitful desires is still happening. And it's not because Jesus hasn't effectively saved us, because he has. But it's because we have not thrown off and abandoned the old self. You know, my uncle had a dog. And this was a, it was a, he loved his dog. But this dog loved to run out the back door. And he had a big open field with tall grass and brush. And the dog would just run in there and be lost for hours. Having the time of his life. And then he'd come back home, come through his doggy door, and then he'd lay on the couch, and it wasn't before too long that everybody in the house is itching and scratching. The house would be flea-infested, and they'd have to call in the exterminator to do the whole bug bomb. Sometimes even that didn't work, so they had to throw away furniture, throw away clothes, replace the carpet, and then after they were clean and they were free of the itching, it wasn't, a matter, it wasn't a matter but another few months or a season, and then it all happened again. Eventually one day the dog ran out and didn't come back. Never came back. They don't know what happened to their dog. You know, and after they got over their grieving period, they got another dog. And this dog didn't like to leave the house. He practically had to drag the dog out of the house even to go potty because it loved to just be in the house. You know, probably it's because he lived in Houston and it was so hot all the time. Loved the air-conditioned rooms. But you know what they noticed? They didn't have any flea problems anymore. They didn't have any more problems with infestations and itching and scratching. So put off your old dog. I, I mean, you know, put off your old self. Which is broken and corrupt to be made new in the attitude of your mind. But just putting off the old is not enough to be made new. We have to put something on. So Paul tells us in verse 24, put on the new self. Put on the new man, the new person. Created to be like God in true righteousness 
and holiness. As you think about, what is it that I want 2020 to be about? What do I want to remember? I hope we'll all be able to say, man, I threw out that old shirt. I threw out that old self. There were things I was hanging on to for too long, and, I'm, I, and I just said, enough's enough. And it went out in the trash. But also that you would say, and then I bought a new shirt. I got a new dog. I, got, I put on the new self. The new self that Christ gives me so that I could have true righteousness and holiness. In other words, this self that is uncorrupted and incorruptible, this is the new man, the new person, the new woman that God wants us to be. This is, it's not enough to just throw off dirty clothes because we can't run around naked, right? We've got to put on new clothes. And what does this look like? Let's remember, Paul is addressing the church. The church in Ephesus. This is the body of Christ. So there may be some people in this room that are saying like, you know, all those things, John, that you talked about where, you know, what, what, what we all share, that common knowledge, that common experience, that common identity, I, I, I don't really know what that's about. I don't, I don't think I have that. Well, friend, there's two ways to go from here. Either you can meet Jesus and join us in that common experience, that common relationship, that, that unity that is in Christ. Or you can walk away and continue to have no idea what that's about. But I want to encourage you, because it's not okay with me that you just walk away and say, I don't want that. It's okay, I don't need that. No, I want you to have that. I want you to experience what I've experienced. The joy of knowing Jesus. The fulfillment I have in my life. The purpose that I have because of Jesus. And there are some other things too. There are some bad things that Jesus has taken care of. And we talked about it earlier as we were summarizing all those common things that we share. The forgiveness of sin. Is there anybody out there that doesn't want that? You can only get that in Jesus. Because our greatest problem isn't that our our neighbor's offended with us. Our greatest problem is that the wrath of God has has been fueled by our rebellion. Our greatest problem is that the Creator of the universe, the righteous judge, His wrath is pointed at us. And only Jesus can take care of that. So I want to invite you. Come. Meet Jesus. Believe Him. Love Him like we do. Join us as we learn together who this Jesus is and what does it mean to come together as all these different, unique, different kinds of people who become one body. The church. Paul's addressing the church, the body of Christ, not just individuals living alone. They're not, they're not like you know, ascetics living on a mountaintop somewhere all by themselves trying to figure out 
you know, enlightenment or something. But it's that we are together. We're walking this journey together. We are an organism of great diversity, but that we're unified. We're personally and, inter and intimately interconnected to one another in Jesus, and that's the church. And how do people behave who have put on the, the new man, the new self? How do they behave? What do they look like when, when they experience God's righteousness and His holiness? How do they behave towards each other? And Paul says, put off falsehood. The old way is constantly being corrupted by deceit. He says, put that away. So in verse 25, he says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Paul says, no more lies, no more falsehoods, not within the body. But what kind of falsehood is Paul focusing on? I mean, it's impossible to know for certain. But the context gives us a clue. Remember, we are in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in a context in chapter 4, where unity with Christ is the principal theme. And also remember the chapter that we're reading begins with these words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Then also remember the section of the chapter where we began in verse 11 today. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the, whole, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, Consider the verse we're looking at right now, verse 25. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. It's in the context of unity. Why? Because we are all members of one body, Paul says. Why do we need to be honest, truthful, put off falsehood? Because that unity cannot be experienced. It cannot be achieved under a lie. It can't be achieved when we can't be honest. When we can't be authentic and real. When we always have to pretend. When we always have to put up a face. Because see, we all belong to Christ. We're one in Christ. Another sermon could easily be pre preached on truth-seeking, but let's be reminded again of what we've read earlier today when it comes to how we ought to speak truthfully. In verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. So what kind of falsehood should we put off? All kinds. But Paul zeroes in on a certain kind. And I think the evidence is pretty clear and it's pretty convincing to me that we must put off the kind of falsehood which violates the unity of Christ. 
Boy, a lot of different kinds of falsehoods. I mean, every falsehood falls in there, doesn't it? Obviously, lying to one another and spreading, you know, gossip and, you know, falsities about each other is going to erode and tear down the unity of the body of Christ. It's going to tear down our relationships with our brothers and sisters. Clearly, Paul in the whole Scripture condemns this kind of behavior. And if you remember, this was you know, pretty much the behavior that was common and normative to our old self. If we had to lie to get ahead, we'd lie. If we had to make somebody else look bad by spreading rumors, then that's what we did. But what about the falsehoods which manifest as an environment or a culture where members of the church are not permitted to be real, to be honest? Is the church a place where it is unsafe for you and me to be genuine? Where you can't get to know the real me? Is the church one more place in this world where we're not permitted to self-disclose? Yeah, you know, confess some sins, but not the bad ones. Because, you know, not only because, you know, we don't want to often share the really bad sins, but let's face it, nobody wants to hear it either. But is the church a place where we can do that? Is Elmwood Park Community Church a place where you or I have to pretend to be someone we're not or something that we're not? Is Elmwood Park Community Church a family where we cannot self-disclose the ugliness of our sin but also a place where our sin can be found out? Is it a place where our sin can be found out and we can know that the people around us will still love us, will accept us, will forgive us, will seek to restore us? Is that the kind of church Elmwood Park Community Church is? You know, back where I go to church, at Bethel Baptist Church, my home church, you know, I am pleased to report that, you know, in our leadership team, I do feel that kind of safety, that I can be John Yee. There are things that I say in there that I don't often say outside of those little small quarters. And they know what a jerk I can be sometimes. They know the things that get me all rattled and, you know, all bent out of sorts. And this is church leaders. And I'm glad to say that over the years I've been there, there have been more and more members of our church, leaders who have been kind of added to that group that we, we all feel like, hey, we're, we're safe here. We don't have to pretend here. But I don't want to make it sound like it's all, you know, roses either because life happens. Especially life with sinful people happens. And things happen that make you second guess. Do, should I be honest anymore? Do I need to kind of crawl back into hiding? But thankfully, there's a growing culture, and it's not perfect, but it's a growing culture where we're often and frequently being invited, come closer. Come deeper. Let's know each other. Let's be real with each other. And is Elmwood Park a place 
that offers that. And I hope that some of you at least can say, yes, I have found that here. But let me ask you, and this is a real question, it's not a rhetorical question, but let me ask you to ask yourself, do you really want that? Do you really want a church where you can be yourself? Because I'll tell you, there was, a, there was another leadership team I was a part of years ago at another church, and, and I saw the value of this, and it came right here from this passage of Scripture. And so I, I said to our leadership team just before we planted the church, and by the way, we didn't plant that church. And it was because of the conversation we had at this one meeting. And I asked the question, hey, if we're mad at each other, is it okay if we tell each other? If somebody offends us, is it okay if we let the other know? If somebody's doing something wrong, do we have permission to call them out? And we're going down, there's six of us, and each person's like, yep, yep, yes, I want that. And then one person said, no, you do not have permission to do any of those things with me. That was the end of that church before it was even born. So I don't want to assume that every person in this room is like, yeah, I value authenticity and I want that. And I want it in our church. But let me ask you, do you want that? Is that what you desire for this church? And here's what I'm betting is going to happen. If there are enough people in this church who want that, it's going to make it awfully inhospitable to those that don't. You know, you've heard of people saying, I, can't, I, I don't want to go to that church. They're all a bunch of fakes. Maybe you'll become the church that says, I don't want to go to that church. They are just too real for me. What an amazing thing that might be, though. These folks are not afraid to be themselves because their identity, their security, their worth is not in what they did today or yesterday or what they've done for me lately. It's in Christ who has done it all. And I hope that that's where the ground is. That's where the basis is. That's where the foundations. It's not because of some kind of, you know, egoistic uh, bravado, like I'm going to be more self-revealing than the next guy. No, it's not that. It's because Jesus has forgiven us. He has given us this righteousness, this holiness that is not of the world, it is of God. And I believe God wants that. And I'm going to go out on a limb and believe that you want it too. And if that's not something that you're finding here, please don't just leave yet. Let's work on it together. Let's be honest. Let's bring it out in the open and say, you know what? Our church needs to be more honest. We need to be more genuine. You start with one another. And it might be just two people who say, you know what? You and I, me and you, we're, we're going to go into this together. Maybe we can be accountability partners. Maybe we can pray for each other. 
Maybe we can study scripture together. Maybe we can just have coffee together. Let's do life together. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? For we are all members of one body. First, put off the old man. Second, put on the new self. And third, put off falsehood and speaking, and by speaking truthfully to members of one body. If anyone feels that Elmwood Park Community Church is not a place where this is happening, where a place where you can see this happening for yourself in your life, for the community that is this church, then don't just sit on that. Make it known to God. Cry out to God. Tell Him, this is how it is, Lord. And I'm sorry that I'm a part of that. I'm sorry that I have fostered that. Tattletale to the Father in Heaven. Confess it before God. And second, make it known to somebody. Someone you accept as a spiritual leader. Someone you accept as trustworthy. Someone you love. And third, go before the Lord together and seek His course of action. Go before God and lead with Him or plead with Him to grant this church this blessing of true unity. True unity. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Let's just close our eyes for a second. You know, I'm here once a year, twice a year, three times a year, and it's just for a short window of time each time I step into this building. So I don't know the ins and outs of this family, but you do. And before God, would you just confess that to Him? And when you do that, you're not telling Him anything He doesn't know. You're just telling Him, God, now I know. What are those barriers that you have erected? Let's start with ourselves. What are the barriers we've erected so that we cannot have this kind of honesty? We cannot have this kind of authenticity. We cannot have this kind of unity. And ask for His forgiveness. Repent and ask Him to change your ways. To put on the new self. Yes, Lord, there are so many reasons why we have avoided real unity. I confess to you, Lord, one of the biggest reasons why it's hard for me is because of fear. I've got an image to keep up. I've got a reputation to uphold. And I don't want people finding out that there are all kinds of holes in this facade. I don't want people finding out that I'm not as holy as I look. That I'm not as smart as I think I am. That I'm not as spiritual 
as I let people think. And perhaps there are other reasons why we avoid this kind of honesty. Perhaps there's other reasons why unity scares us. But Lord, would you show us, would you keep reminding us how beautiful that is? Put our eyes on Jesus, who enjoys the utmost in unity in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. What a relationship. And that you've invited us into that relationship. And it's not, it's not just one of us, but it's all of us who have encountered Jesus and have put faith in Him. Lord, thank You for inviting us into something so unworthy of us, so beautiful and grand. Forgive us for all the ways, all the ways we erode that unity, all the ways that we erode honesty and the integrity of the body of Christ. Lord, forgive us. Change our ways. And Father, I pray that You'd give us the courage to speak to somebody. Maybe it's to one of the elders or our pastor, or maybe it's to the, the person sitting right next to us. That we would not just get together to complain, but Lord, we would get together to dream together, to pray together, to cry out to You together, to seek Your face together. God, would You bless Elmwood Park Community Church with the kind of unity that makes even other Christians, other churches, wonder what is going on in that church. That it makes people who are outside the church altogether, those who are on the highways and the byways, who are our neighbors, who don't know Jesus at all, that they would see what is happening at Elmwood Park Community Church and there would be curiosity there would be a provoking of their, their deepest desires for what is good and noble, for what is holy. That they would see the church and they would want in. But God also bless each person here. That they would understand that this unity is one of those countless benefits of the cross. A benefit that only comes by the cross. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You for shedding Your blood for our benefit and for Your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.